the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, The Finance Coast and Mohamed Nalla. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. In addition to our weekly free show that you know and love, we have now launched Magic Markets Premium, a weekly show for our subscribers in which we give detailed analysis on global stocks. Every premium show is accompanied by a report covering the company's strategic drivers, its operating environment, its competitors, bull versus bear case, technical trading indicators, and a long-term investment thesis. At just 99 Rand per month, we are committed to making institutional-level analysis affordable for all investors and traders. Visit magic-markets.com to go premium and unlock your full potential in the markets. Welcome to episode 51 of Magic Markets. And Mo, we're really making it a habit of having these cool international guests. And I'm not talking about you because you're not a guest. You, you have to do this every week with me. But I'm talking about our guest for the evening tonight on this show. But I'm going to let you introduce him. So Mo, why don't you go right ahead and tell uh, the Magic Markets listeners who's with us this evening. Yeah, Ghost, it's, it's, it's great. And it's, again, part of our commitment to bringing international voices to our listeners of Magic Market. So my pleasure to introduce an old friend of mine, Natalia Labia, from uh, a former investment banker down in South Africa, now lives the life as international man of mystery in Milan, you know, had a stint out in London. And Natalia is not just a pretty face. You know, Natalia brings in a very different perspective in that he is currently a partner at Lionhead Capital, also the head of macro strategy and economics. Uh, Ghost, he is also a contributor to Daily Maverick along with uh, with you. You do write about very different things, but you know I think that's part of the value add of bringing Natale onto this particular show. And what we'd like to get into here is that Natale is still very much South African at heart. He just happens to live out in Europe. He still looks at South Africa, uh, but now with a different lens. And so we want to try and bring some of that perspective into this. And what we'd like to share with our listeners is what does it look like when you're looking at South Africa from the outside in. I sit out here in Canada. I'm on this side of the Atlantic. Natale is at least in a similar time zone. So Natale, absolute pleasure having you here at Magic Markets. I think you know both myself and Ghost from our former investment banking days down in South Africa. So welcome to Magic Markets. No, thank you very much, Mo and, and Ghost. Great to see you again. And yeah, much appreciate the invitation to, to join the show this evening. So Natale, maybe let's just jump straight into that. I mean, South Africa's been through uh, quite a bit of a difficult time over the last couple of months, the uh, last couple of years, in fact. And again, when you're sitting outside of South Africa, it's actually quite easy to to gloss over some of the the hairier parts and see some of the opportunities. I mean, I must say, I found that being outside almost allowed me to see the opportunities a little more clearly than when I was sitting down in South Africa. And the perspective I now have, I think, is akin to the guys that used to come down to South Africa on roadshow. You know, we'd show them around and they'd always leave saying, you know, we, we get some of the bad stuff, but actually there are all of these positive things as well. Now, I don't necessarily want to just take a one-sided positive or negative view. I want you to maybe give us a quick rundown of what is your perspective on South Africa from a macro, from an economic, from a business and investment perspective as things stand right now. South Africa's just come out of local elections. Does it have any material bearing on where you see the opportunities and the economy going over the course of the next year and beyond? Sure. But I think fundamentally, you know, when you look at South Africa from Europe or, or the US, you must see it as one of a, a group of, of emerging economies. And it might not be 
necessarily the realization that people sitting in Cape Town or Johannesburg um, necessarily want to want to feel. But from the perspective of of capital allocators, whether you're in Europe or, or London or New York, you know there are a bunch of of competitors out there that are that are competing for for that kind of investment. And I think it's at that point it's important to kind of disaggregate the South African macroeconomic outlook and the South African political context. And I don't think we need to get too kind of bogged down in the rough on this discussion tonight on those two issues. I think the, the, the realities are apparent and I'm sure that all the listeners on the call are all too aware of, of some of those headwinds. But I think then you need to look at the kind of market specifics. So both on a debt level and then when it comes to equities and the, and the equity market. And then, you know, when it comes to some of the private market opportunities that might present themselves. And I think that that's, as I say, important to disaggregate because the way foreign investors might look at the South African macro context and the South African political context actually is very different from how they might look at the investment opportunities. From a debt perspective, because it's, it's usually quite a useful kind of point of departure, it's been a bit of a, a, a mystery the last few months looking at, at, the, at the South African bond market. I don't know, maybe we can, you know, I might, I might throw the question back to you. The South African yield curve has, has moved in quite substantially in the last month or so. At the same time, inflationary pressures are starting to come through and, and it looks like, you know, the market at least is pricing in a, a 25 basis point hike in the last quarter of this year. I can't quite reconcile that in my own mind. <laughs> the, the, the fact is your, the 10 year is now trading quite substantially under 10% and the 30 year is, is slightly above that. Neither of which strike me as particularly good value at all when you look at some of the uncertainty around the currency and, and, and sort of uncertainty around future price levels. So I think when it comes to that, what, what's interesting is how those kind of discount rates feature in, in um, equity market um, valuations. And I think there might be something that, 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 can be, that you can extrapolate from that. The other interesting thing when it comes to the debt markets is that I, I saw today on, on Bloomberg that foreign ownership of, of the South African domestic bond market has dropped to a decade low, under 30%. It's definitely the first time in, in my career. I mean, now I'm making myself sound as, almost as experienced as, as Mo. I think that's because Mo, Mo just liquidated part of his portfolio. Mo, is that your fault? Are you, are you the whale? You just sold out of SA. In short... No, it's not me. Um, <laughs> under 30%. I mean, I, I actually missed that stat, Natalia. I think, you know, when, when we had looked, in fact, a couple of years ago, not that long ago, when I was still down in South Africa, which is give or take two and a half, three years ago, or just prior to that, foreign ownership of South African government bonds went as high as about 48, 49%, which was the peak. So the fact that they're under 30 means that you've had a 20% sell down, which is m massive. Now, remember, that has to be taken up by someone. It's got to be taken up by local asset managers. It's got to be taken up by local pension funds as the foreigners step out. There's another interesting quirk, and both of you will appreciate this from your former banking days, is that the banks are actually large buyers of this because Basel regulations mean that they can actually hold these government bonds as high-quality capital. So on that basis, I think it's almost as though regulation created an offtake for some of the foreigners offlaying that. And that's why it's potentially not even reflected in the yield curve, Natalie, as you've indicated. I think that's really a critical point. I, I want to bring Ghost in here because the, the other fundamental point here is that 
If we argue that the discount rate in South Africa, the 10-year bond, and we'll go into whether the risks are priced in or not shortly, but if we're arguing that that's trading lower, the bond yield is lower than it should be, then that would mean that the implied valuation on South African stocks are actually too high. Now, that's not something that we've seen. We've actually seen international companies coming in and buying South African stocks because they're seeing value relative to where SA stocks are trading compared to some of their global peers. And I think of the Imperial deal, for example, quite recently as an example of that. So, Ghost, maybe now is a good time for you to come in because I know you look at some of these things. Where's that disconnect between maybe an apparent you know, disjuncture in the bond market versus South African equity valuations at a macro level? Yeah, thanks, Mo. And a good way to include me in a bond discussion because the bond I only really know about is on my house. So, but at least the equities I can you know, be relatively useful. I think uh, a lot of the a lot of the acquisition activity we've seen on the JSC is in the small caps. So they've historically traded at horrible multiples, and it almost doesn't matter what the discount rate is. There's just not enough liquidity in the small and mid cap space on the JSC. So you see these very good companies trading at price earnings multiples of, I mean, sometimes four. You know, sometimes up to like seven. And then you look at the earnings yield you're getting on that. You're looking at the quality of the cash flow, the way they're buying back stock. It ticks every box, and yet they sit and languish at this kind of four to seven. So I can understand how international acquirers will come in and see value at those prices. I can understand how South Africans have found a lot of value in those prices. I mean, the South African, or rather the JSC in the small and mid caps has had the year of its life. I mean, it's been an incredible story over the past nine months. I think it's been one of the best performing assets you could probably have climbed into. At the other end, there's some very, very, very expensive stuff on the JSC. There's some head scratching for sure around some of these valuations. I mean, Clicks is an excellent example. Richmond is an excellent example. You know, Richmond may have a lot of international interest, but these things are still trading at really lofty valuations. And and some of them are a mystery. I suppose the way Natalia, you sometimes scratch your head at the bond market. I scratch my head very much at Clicks. You know, it's a little bit beyond me how this thing is is trading where it is. So, you know, my yeah, in theory, I mean, that is exactly how it works. In The discount rate, if it should be higher, then technically, you know, equity value should be lower. But at the end of the day, there's just so much noise in the market. There's such a disconnect in liquidity and everything else on the JSC that I think the theory only really comes into play in the in the bigger cap stocks. And for everything else, you know, there's a little bit of luck of the draw and, 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 and demand for the stock at any point in time. I think that's valuable insight. I mean, Natalia, I, w- I want to come to you next on this because you know, I just want to highlight one critical point, and that is that historically, at least on the bond point, going back to your question, on the bond point, foreign investors have always loved South African bond risk. It's because the carry is nice and high. You know, you're earning pretty decent real rates of return, even in that emerging markets basket. Now, to your point, South Africa is just one of a host of emerging markets. So periodically, as inflation bounces around, the attractiveness of that real rate in relative terms bounces around as well. And how I've certainly seen it in my career, and maybe you can comment on this as well, is that foreigners will buy South African debt and they will then execute their tactical views around South Africa, the noise, the politics, whatever it may be, using FX. So they partially hedge out some of their exposure. And that's why the RAND tends to be your high beta play specifically on South Africa versus what is effectively a core holding of bonds. And even to your point, that core holding of bonds has actually decreased and dissipated, which ironically may mean less volatility on the RAND because there's less of this tactical hedging that's happening behind the scenes. Do you think there's some basis to that? Yeah, look, I think the context has changed a a huge amount. 
um, you know, I think that that was probably a very popular strategy um, in the kind of, say, the, the, the glory days of South African debt capital market and the domestic bond um, market being a, a very attractive yield play, um, given the fact that you, you combine a relatively deep debt capital market with a, a currency, where, which is easily traded and you know, the volumes are, are much better than other similar emerging markets. I think we've seen the kind of the pandemic really hurt emerging markets like South Africa. And I think a lot of that interest, um, especially with, you know, and I think this is the kind of million dollar question. If you, if you start to see hard currency yields kind of sustainably creep up, it's, it's a bit too early to say where, where the kind of US 10 year is going. But if you start to see the U.S. 10-year start to move towards 2% and look like staying there or moving above, then I think a lot, of, a lot more interest could actually come out of bond markets like South Africa. The, the rand bounces around like crazy. I mean, it must be an absolute nightmare for South African businesses to, to deal with the, the volatility. Even in the last week or so, I mean, today I saw it, it, it was, I think, the best performing currency against the dollar. So you, you, you just, you really don't know where it's going to trade. You know, I think it's a, it's, it's a good thing in that we are sort of still part of the global capital markets, but it, it, does, it does create problems. I think just to, to touch on, on some, some points that, um, that Ghost made, which I think is, you know, I think worth stressing from the perspective of, of say, Europe or, or, or the UK, when you're looking at a market like South Africa, I think if you take the, the last five or 10 years, I mean, you know this better than I do, there has been a you know, as you say, volumes have come all the way down. You've seen consolidation at the, the, the sort of in terms of the big caps, the ten, the ten cent kind of family of businesses, and then your your Richemont, um, you know, the last person process, and then your kind of the other bigger multinationals, and that's kind of consuming a lot of the energy and a lot of the the oxygen at the at the top of the market, and then there's this kind of stagnant pool of equities that just don't get looked at, and. And I kind of, I get quite frustrated because I follow, you know, you guys on Twitter and I, I, I talk to friends of mine back in South Africa and I can see the value of a lot of the companies there. But, you know, if in terms of their, their market cap, they're so small. In terms of the, the, the volumes, it's so limited and so thin. But also in terms of coverage. You know, I think if you were to go back kind of five, ten years, I think you would find a lot of the sort of mid cap space in the markets having you know, it would be covered by international brokers and international analysts. Um, and a lot of that is stopped now. So, you know, and you take take a business like Clicks. Clicks is a bit of a kind of an analyst darling. And it is covered by a lot of the international houses. So, you know, I, I think it's sad to me, but I can I can see the <laughs> the opportunities for foreign industry buyer or a private equity player like like ourselves. I mean, Lionhead is, is, is we're bullish on South Africa and specific niches and specific opportunities. And I think opportunities will continue to present themselves. Tali, maybe I can just jump in there. I mean, if there's any Clicks analysts listening, I need them to know that Clicks's current strategy is to have a queue at the dispensary that would rival home affairs. Just needed to get that out there in case anyone from Clicks is also listening because Mrs. Ghost is not a fan of what's going on there. Anyway, now that I've earned brownie points at home, um, <laughs> what I wanted to say was, you know, what's happening in South Africa is a lot of great companies are now not going to the JSE. They're changing hands privately. So you have all this stuff that's happened because the volumes have come off, because the coverage has gone away. Why do you then go to a public market? If you've got a private equity house, he's going to give you a full exit on a 6 PE. Or you can go through all the pain of, and agony of, of listing on the JSE so that you can still trade 
at a 6 PE, not be able to exit your shares because the founders can never sell. This is like the greatest lie ever told. They think they list and they can sell their shares. No, you can't. You try sell those shares, you're going to crash the price. You're not going anywhere. You know, all the regulation on top of it. It's really nice to hear that you're bullish on SADs from a macro level. I mean, I would be interested, as would the listeners, I'm sure, to know what sort of stuff you guys are seeing. Like, you know, what does your fund strategy look like? How does it actually work day to day? Sure. I mean, we... Yeah, we've got a, a an aggressive strategy that we'll be pushing for in the South African private market space. So that's that's going to be a big growth avenue that that we're hoping will deliver. It's deeply, deeply contrarian, <laughs> but you know, I think that you know, if if you can sell that strategy and to, to investors, you know, and, and you can position the kind of risk reward um, trade-off in, a, in an attractive way. You know, I think there are some great deals to be had. I think this is also a, a time where valuations are, are, are extremely stretched globally. So, you know, you can make a pretty solid case for a South African contrarian private equity play, which uh, is just not possible where I live. And it's definitely not possible in, in, in the US and, and where Mo lives. There's too much capital around. But I think that's still, it's still possible in South Africa. And, and I think as long as you look at, at certain niche areas and, and a lot of the work that I do specifically is, try, is to try to uncover that in the South African context and in the Southern African context. So Natalia, I mean, I've got a great private equity opportunity for you. It's a knowledge as a service business, rapidly expanding subscriber base. A very sticky client base, proven. Uh, everyone who subscribed a month ago, mainly because that was Mo, me and our web developer, has renewed their membership, which is 100% renewal rates. Excellent. Have I mentioned that it may well be called a fintech business? It's all about financial inclusion. And if I'd had more time to prep this pitch, I would have found a way to bring the metaverse into it to at least get a revenue multiple three year forward of you know 20x, which is obviously Magic Markets Premium. And uh, really, if uh, listeners haven't checked that out, they should. And Mo, now I'll let you ask an intelligent question and I'll stop talking rubbish. I, I love the very quick and snuck in advertorial there, Ghost, and I appreciate it as a very uh, large and substantial shareholder in Magic Markets. And Natalia, getting back to the topic, I mean, I, I find it very interesting and encouraging that you are bullish on South Africa. I mean, heck, we're almost out of time here. There was a whole bunch of stuff I wanted to discuss with you, and we'll have to save some of that for, for another show. But what I want to kind of get into is your last comment about how valuations are rich in the rest of the world means that effectively, your risk reward is compressed because you're paying up. I mean, Ghost and I always talk about this in, in the Magic Markets premium side where we look at specific stocks, is we're saying there's a price that you pay for an asset versus what the asset is worth. And if you're paying a premium, your return on equity may be very different to what the company is achieving in its underlying return on equity. To that point, if you're seeing opportunities in South Africa, you don't have to go into details and specifics, but maybe give us a quick rundown. You know, what are some of the sectors and opportunities that excite you the most? Uh, and also, you know, what, what scares you the most? How are you reconciling that risk reward? Because I agree, I think the risks are higher in South Africa. But if you're bullish South Africa, it means that you think the reward is well worth much more than that risk. Yeah, I think um, there are probably three thematic things I'd like to touch on to respond to that really excellent question. I think the, the pandemic has, you know, has altered the way the kind of global economy functions, potentially more permanently than we might at this point be able to really acknowledge. We have 
made some very successful investments and we're hoping to do more in, in logistics. And, and I think with that in mind, South Africa is obviously, kind of goes without saying, is relatively early down this, the, the, the sort of the e-commerce route. And I think in addition with a kind of a pretty limited infrastructure when it comes to these types of, of delivery services. So that's, that's an area that we are looking at, kind of logistics and last mile delivery and, and services. It may well be too early to say, but with the pressure that international supply chains have been put under and they may well consider that may well continue to endure, as it were, it might be space, there might be space for South African domestic manufacturers to come back. And, and I'm not saying this across the board, but in certain niche sectors where there is expertise, where there, is, you know, there's, there are traditions of, of excellence in manufacturing and, and, and businesses can compete globally, but they can particularly compete domestically if the South African ports are the way they are and if the international container system is the way it is. And suddenly a, a company that makes you know, something relatively straightforward, it doesn't have to be ultra sophisticated kind of German Mittelstand type industry, but you know, just you know, something that's well made and, and, and perhaps difficult to transport suddenly becomes very compelling, particularly with the free trade, the African free trade area, hopefully opening up. And then, you know, Lionhead's history has been in resources. We are still kind of relatively bullish on certain opportunities in Southern Africa, including South Africa. Once again, I don't want to get bogged down in the rough when it comes to the, um, the, regulation, the regulations and the regulatory issues and some of the more political type um, headwinds that confront that particular space. But, you know, I think, you know, when you look at the, the world of resources, we still have some pretty compelling assets that are, that are you know, relatively attractive on, on where they're pricing. So I'd say those are the kind of the three areas that we do see opportunity in, in South and Southern Africa. Natalia, I'm curious, how much ESG pressure is coming through the system in your world on something like coal? I mean, are you allowed to look at that? I'm genuinely curious because that's a big theme at the moment down here is, you know, a lot of people can't touch the stuff. And so the ones who could made a fortune on, on something like Tungela that was unbundled recently. What, what is the vibe from Europe? Absolutely not. You know, and, I, and I'm not saying that because it's not an area that I think that you can make a lot of money. I'm uh, just saying from a perspective of, of Lionhead and, and, and our strategy, you know, we, we very much affirm that invest in, in the, the, the metals of tomorrow, the, the minerals and metals of, of the future economy needed for batteries and, and wind turbines and things like that. And, and to, to find and, and to procure those metals and minerals in a way that is ESG sensitive because there's huge demand and demand not just from commodity traders, but also from companies that make electric cars. Because at the moment, everyone's really worried about supplies of, of lithium and, and, and supplies of, of nickel and copper and, and, and these things. That's the space we play in. It's not to say, yeah, I think I, I wish that I'd uh, taken a punt on Tungela <laughs> uh, a, a year or so ago. Look, you're busy talking you know, up Sabanya, think... which I appreciate as a Sabanya shareholder. You know, I'm not, I'm not upset yeah. with what you're currently doing. Neil Froneman's doing exactly what you're talking about, so... Exactly, exactly. There's no shortage of, of appetite in, the, in, in, in that space. I think if you can position yourself well, I think resources will con continue to be areas that you can, you can do very well in. I mean, Natalia, that's, that's always fascinating insight. And unfortunately, we're kind of running out of time. I mean, 
one last point I'd like to kind of get into. Uh, and again, before we, I mean, to go last point on ESG, for, for listeners who didn't discover our show that we did a couple of weeks ago with Kate McKenzie. Kate is the Bloomberg climate contributor. She was a guest on the show, and the show's name was uh, Heroes and Net Zeros. So we spoke about some of these trends in there. If you haven't discovered that show, please go and check it out. But Natalie, I, I find your perspective very refreshing. I like the fact that from an outside, from a European perspective, that you're still seeing you know, sectors and micro niches in South Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, that present opportunities. My last question to you is, I'm assuming at Lionhead that you guys have you know, investors that have been with you for quite some time that are already primed towards the investment case in Africa, in Southern Africa and South Africa. What is your experience in terms of putting this investment pitch to investors that haven't been sensitized to some of the idiosyncrasies on the continent? Are you finding it a hard sell? Is it becoming a softer sell? A couple of years ago, there was the whole Africa rising narrative, which then died very quickly. How do you see that playing out? And the reason I ask this is that South Africa had a remarkably strong delegation at the recent COP26 event out in Glasgow. South Africa is really good at going on those roadshows. Is it working getting that from a hard sell to a soft sell in your experience? I don't think once you get too carried away um, by kind of referencing things like delegations to COP and, and presence at, at G20, I think the investment case for, for international investors is is a very specific one. And as I, as I started off the discussion, there are a lot of other very compelling emerging markets, be it in even Latin America, Eastern Europe, Asia, and, and, and in the rest of Africa even. I think... You know, when it comes to to South Africa, you and, and and investors here, you kind of if if they don't if they don't get the story within thirty seconds, then there's really no point in in in, in trying to convince them otherwise. I, I find that in international investors at the moment, um, there are a lot of competing narratives for attention. So obviously, a lot of money in in VC tech and startups. There are crazy things like crypto and and then there's some extremely extremely uh, lofty valuations and things like tesla and and international investors have made a lot of money out of these supposedly very kind of sexy and and, and attractive things so if you if you're talking to international investors about kind of last mile delivery in the southern tip of africa if they don't get it in 30 seconds then you know it's best just to to change the topic I, i'm sorry if that's a very uh, depressing way to end the conversation no it's not because i want to actually just pick up on that and then we're probably out of time natalia <laughs> and the point is that i always bash this point home and go smell at the end of the day the investment return you get is a function of two things it's what you buy and what you paid for it so the whole trick is to spot value and the, the macro lens is very very important which is at the end of the day what both of you look at something like thinking of south africa broadly and recognizing that there may be only one or two sectors here that are of interest to you and there's a lot of art and a lot of science that goes into something like that and it's too easy to just write off an entire country for people to just say oh, I, I, I never invest in South Africa I only invest in the US you know they go pile their life savings into Peloton and Snap and they ignore Tungela and you know you can go draw a chart of that and see what the outcome would be so you know it's easy to cherry pick the losers there and the winners here obviously I'm being facetious but the point is that in any economy there's winners and losers and things are often not as bad or as good as they seem and if you can manage all those emotional biases in investing, you can generally have a better outcome, you know, over the long term. And you can do smart stuff like, you know, buy Sibanya, for example, or uh, invest in Magic Markets Premium, all these kind of great decisions and, uh, and avoid the silly stuff. Natalia, will you agree? 
Yeah, it's, it's spot on. And I, I think just further to that, I, you know, something I've always really believed is that when it comes to investing, you, you can't know everything about everything. There's an infinite number of potential opportunities and, and, and ways to, to do well in, in this world. I think the, the most important thing is to kind of to decide what you what you can do and, and then what you kind of can't do or don't want to do. And then just make sure that you get better and better and more knowledgeable about what you do do. And and I think when it comes to South Africa, but I think investing in general, I actually think that the future will deliver good returns for kind of experts and, and, and those stock pickers that can really delve into the detail because we've we've lived through such a period of momentum and of, of, of growth and markets and you could just buy an ETF and you would have done very well. I think maybe that's starting to unwind, but I think particularly in a market which is so multifaceted and, and variegated like, like South Africa, it, it pays to yeah spend more time doing your homework and, and, and applying your mind. And I think that's where um, you guys do really well. And um, I certainly um, have always enjoyed listening to your podcast and will continue, and will, uh, continue to enjoy listening to them. Good man, Natalia. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. I mean, Natalia, unfortunately, we're out of time. I think... It's really been a great and uh, and fascinating discussion. I, we're going to have to, and Ghost, I say this almost with all of our international guests, is we're only scratching beneath the surface to a very thin degree. So I, I, I think there's a whole lot that we can still discuss, but we have to save that for another time. Natalie, thanks so much for joining us. And again, Ghost, it's been real doing this with you. Uh, to our listeners, we hope you enjoyed this episode. And remember to catch us at the same time, same place next week on Magic Markets. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Remember to visit thefinanceghost.com and monos.com for more detailed insights. This podcast was for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial or investment advice. Please consult your personal financial advisor.